when I was lying there in the VA hospital with a big hole blown through the middle of my life. I started having these dreams of flying. I was free. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis, and this is episode number 175. And our movie this week is 2009's Avatar, written and directed by James Cameron. And joining me because somehow he had never seen it before, I think you're one of like five people, it's Trip Rogers. Trip, how you doing? <laughs> Yes, I, I I guess you're right. I'm one of five people who hadn't seen it, and and as I, I I told you, and I guess I should let you in on this, uh, everybody else know. Um, I hadn't seen the movie. I'd heard about it, and everybody raved about it, but I never watched it. And recently uh, went down to the Special Olympics USA Games down in Orlando, and one of the things that they did for the athlete, my sister was a coach, by the way, of the New Jersey tennis team. Okay. So one of the things, that, special things that they did is they had a night at at Animal Kingdom. And part of it was you could go on the Avatar ride there. So we got our little, you know, ticket, our fast pass ticket, and we went on the Avatar ride. Now, I'm going through the pre-show and everything. I have no clue what the hell's going on. Okay. <laughs> I, I get the idea, though. But but again, you know, the soaring and you're, you're flying and, and everything. So it kind of spurred me and my fiancé to both watch the movie. And so we watched it as soon as we got home. And it was really interesting to watch it and to then understand it. Mm -hmm. And of course, what makes this also why this is so topical is the fact that the sequel is coming out at the end of this year. Yeah. And in fact, I didn't realize James Cameron's going to be doing four sequels um, this yep. year, two years. And then they've, they've done the, the shooting on the first, on the next two. And then he's going to, um, excuse me, he's going to do two more. So very ambitious for James Cameron, but again, the, the movie itself, and listen, the ride is a must-see ride at Disney World. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I, I want to get into the sequels at some point because there's actually a good, a fair bit to kind of unpack on that. But I make the joke that you're one of five people that hadn't seen it because this was, in 2009, this became the highest grossing film of all time, beating out James Cameron's previous film, Titanic. Um and went on to be uh, the highest grossing film until Avengers Endgame unseated it. Uh, I believe they've kind of flip-flopped and jockeyed a little bit as there was, a, there was an Avatar re-release at some point. I don't know exactly, but this movie was just one of those that it, it felt like everyone had seen it. But the weird thing was, is so many people had seen this movie, and yet for a number of years, I feel like nobody talked about Avatar either. You know, it was like I, I agree. I agree. For, for for a film to make a billion dollars at the box office and be kind of almost culturally irrelevant in a lot of ways, because it's not like there was the fandom of a Star Wars. Um, now, granted, Star Wars had more movies, um, but it's just it was is odd to me. And you mentioned the the Disney ride. Disney owns it after buying Fox. And so they've done a lot uh, to help promote it and get these sequels made and all that. 
Um, but it's it's becoming more. It feels like it's coming back around and cycling through. This movie's thirteen years old now, which is incredible to think about. Um, but it is nice to see. It's nice to see it gaining some relevance again. I'm. I saw it in theaters. I went and I will say this: the experience of seeing this in the theater in two thousand nine was pretty unlike anything I had ever done uh, because James Cameron famously spent a long time making this movie and the actual shooting of it took four years from pre-production to release in part because he did everything 3D. It was a fully digital uh, production at the time. He did all sorts of crazy 3D and I'll tell you what, this was one of the few times seeing a movie in 3D in a theater. I was like, all right, I get why. And and I was going to, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why you mentioned the relevance has gone away is because 3D movies essentially no longer really exist. I mean, 3D movies have stopped being made. And, and, and like I said, I, I think part of it was you had either a very well-done 3D movie, such as James Cameron did with Avatar, and then most of the 3D movies were either converted mm -hmm. or they looked like garbage. And 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 I, I agree with what you say though. This movie, I mean, listen, um I I will admit I suffer from motion sickness and getting on this ride, I, <laughs> I had a little touch of it. And then watching it on TV, I kind of got it again. The only other time that's happened to me is with with uh, Despicable Me, where they do the roller coaster ride mm, in the mm -hmm. first Despicable Me movie, yeah. well, I saw it in 3D. I got motion sickness in the theater. I'm watching it with my daughter on Christmas Day, and I'm getting motion sickness again. So that's <laughs> one of the reasons why I think um, in Avatar, and the other part of it is, is that, and I'll say this because James Cameron is a victim of his own success. Because let's be realistic. He started with the Terminator movies, and they, yeah. they did really well. And then he did Titanic, which was, you know, uh, one of the most unbelievable movies, and it did so well. And then he follows it up with Avatar. And so it's kind of like Michael Jackson after Thriller and Bad. Where can Michael Jackson go after this? And, and, and James Cameron has kind of taken a step back. He's gotten away from this for a little bit, and now he's coming back with Avatar. He's doing it the right way. He's doing it the way he wants to do it. Mm -hmm. And again, I'll be curious to see uh, what what your comment is. I think Avatar will become more relevant now because of the fact the sequel's coming out. And I think with 13 years, you now have a group of kids who may not have seen it. Mm -hmm. And will now get to experience Avatar or have gone to Disney, experienced the ride, have watched the movie. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm pretty sure they'll probably put uh, the first Avatar and then the second one. They'll do like one of those premiere things Well, they'll have both movies running back to back. I think you're going to see a lot of people wanting to see it that way because of that effect and seeing it on the big screen. Oh, sure. I, I have no doubt that uh, that that will happen. It's interesting because we're now further from the making, like the release of Avatar and its sequel is a longer gap than there was the gap between, um, or about the same as uh, Titanic and Avatar, like how long it took him to do. In between that, 
he did a few documentaries and things of uh, of note, but film wise, James Cameron's filmography is actually pretty small. He tends to take several years between projects because it was like we can we can discount Piranha two. That's I mean, it was his first major release, but it nearly tanked his entire career before it got started. <laughs> Forgive me for laughing. I'm probably one of the only people who like those movies. The Piranha movies were hysterical. I mean, I, I love that that, that, those, that kind of... Uh, of oh, sure. You know, there's, I'm a fan of Machete. Yeah, there's, I'm a fan of Machete. I mean... Yeah, there's definitely like there's a market for stuff like that, but Piranha Two, I think it was eighty one, and it, it it didn't review well at the time. And then, but he but he comes out with with the Terminator, and it's such a great little kind of bottle movie. Uh, it's a really it's it's basically a horror movie uh, with a sci fi undertone to it. Then he does for some reason he does uh, a sci fi movie with horror undertones, so he just flips the script on himself with Aliens. Um, he kind of. Sort of the same thing, like he builds up and then he has not a misstep, but Abyss was uh, sort of even even keel with aliens. But then takes another step up, T2. Terminator 2 is one of the greatest sequels that's ever been produced because he built off of and and a thing that shouldn't have worked, right? There's no reason to do a sequel to the Terminator, none whatsoever. He found a way to do that and make it a super enjoyable movie because he didn't try to redo what the Terminator was. He went in a different direction. Um, and that's what I'm hoping he will do with the Avatar sequels is not just try to, to remake what Avatar was, but give it something new, which it needs. This movie, I'm, I'm going to have some things, some negative things to say about it as well because I don't think it's a perfect movie by any stretch. It is enjoyable, though. I will say that. I do have a good time with it. Um, but I definitely uh, I have some issues, and it's mostly with the script. But the cast is really good overall. Um, what are what do you think about uh, Sam Worthington as like your leading man as Jake Sully? See, the the, the thing about a, a movie like this, and 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 I understand, and I catch what you're saying, and and you know I'm also going along with James Cameron. Remember. He struck gold with Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. Mm -hmm. And Terminator 2, I think he struck gold because, well, oh, yeah, let's see. The wife had to be cast in it because, oh, yeah, she was married to him. Um, but the the point I make is Linda Hamilton was good, and Edward Furlong fit that movie very well. And, and, and I also, so, you know, you go to Titanic and you look at the cast in Titanic. And listen, James Cameron, if if anything, has an eye for a cast mm -hmm. Worthington as the lead he kind of grew on me I thought he did a great job but again you look at everybody else who was surrounding him in this cast and and I really think I mean listen um I I think everybody did well in this movie um again it was enjoyable I didn't sit there and go you know yeah I missed this movie but yet I, 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 when I saw it, I said, oh, I'm glad I did. And I agree with you. I don't think it's a perfect movie. But again, a sequel after a certain number of years works. And I was going to, um, and of course it popped out of my mind. <laughs> um, uh, recently I went to the movies and saw, oh, Top Gun. Mm -hmm. the, the sequel to Top Gun. Right. 
And the thing about it is, is that I, I got the same feeling watching Top Gun as I did when I saw the number, the seven, you know, the number Star Wars seven, you yeah. know, the, 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 when they, when they went back and redid it, when, when Lucas went back and redid it or, or the new series, I got this feeling I'm putting on an old pair of shoes. It feels right. Top Gun, again, it just hit the, the theme, and it's just, oh, man, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Of course, I went and saw it on IMAX, and I got to tell you, that was a movie that was made for IMAX. Oh, it was really cool. Absolutely. But having, but having, where I'm going with this is, I agree with you. I think the time between the two movies gives you that space to where you're not rushing a sequel. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm trying to remember, and I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, um, Terminator was mid-80s, and Terminator 2 was early 90s. There was a yeah. gap there. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, you had the Back to the Future movie in 85, then you had the sequel in 88 and 89. You know, they were right close together. Yeah. There's enough of a gap there that I think people can... You, 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 uh, I guess cleanse your palate. Does that, I, I mean, I, maybe I'm making a, a stupid thing, but, but I'm just saying that it's, I think there's enough of room where the movie could stand on its own. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the way I would. No, I think you're not wrong in that, like certain movies, I think a sequel and a continuation of the story, if the world building is done right, need to come out within a certain cadence. Uh, the Back to the Future movies, they kind of did the one, but they set you up for a sequel during that one right at the end in a way that you almost need to kind of jump on it. Um, the Harry Potter films are something where because they're done every year and you've got young people in the cast, you've got to get those going fairly regularly. Um, you're right in that Terminator came out in 84 and Terminator 2 was 1991. Um, so there was a gap there. He had done 90, 91, 92. Um, but he, he did uh, yeah. Aliens and then um, The Abyss in between that. So, but but there it kind of worked because, again, like I say, Terminator itself is self-contained. It doesn't need anything. So so if you're going to do a sequel to something like that, it really, you need to take your time with it and do it right. I'm hopeful that that's going to be the case with these Avatar sequels. It's very ambitious to do sequels back to back. But it's even more ambitious to plot out four movies over the next, I believe, it's eight years, uh, is what I saw for releases. I know that they did three and or two and three together, um, which is yeah, I they, mean, did, they did two and three, two and three, and it's this December and then December twenty twenty four. The subsequent sequels will be twenty twenty six and twenty twenty eight. So I'm guessing they're going to do the same thing they did is shoot both movies at the same time. And part of that also is because you've got to have your actors available. Mm -hmm. And again, for all the special effects, and, and there are a lot, you know, this is a special effects laden movie. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, the, the thing I wanted, you know, talk about special effects, and, 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 and I know that Cameron will do this right. I mean, because we've seen it in other movies that he's done. But I got to say, I saw the Jurassic, the new Jurassic Park movie. Sure. Or Jurassic World, excuse me, mm -hmm. Dominion. And the one thing that really bothered me was the special effects. It just seemed that they, I don't know, they weren't as good as they could be. And that bothered me again. But I'm comparing it to Top Gun Maverick. And my God, 
this was phenomenal. I mean, it really was that good. And and I think, you know, I got to give Tom Cruise some credit. I mean, listen, let's face it. He's maligned a lot. Although, you know, I, I give him cool points because he spent his 60th birthday watching Formula One racing. Sure. His boy, Lewis Hamilton, who did really well. So I, I give Tom Cruise credit on that. But but they really did a good job on the, on the, on the, the effects for this. And I think Top Gun Maverick, if you if you did not see the first movie, it would stand on its own, although the first movie kind of enlightened you for this. Sure. Um I think I think where whereas I I wonder if Avatar, the number two Avatar, which is coming out this year, and the number three, if the two of them will mesh a little more, um then well, again, we don't know where they're going to pick up the story. I mean, yeah. that that that's that's kind of where it is because at the end of of the first Avatar movie, um, y- you know, you you saw uh, Sam Worthington's character become a, a, a tribes person, and basically um, his human life form was cut off. Yep, and and that was and that was part of it. And now I I. I I got to ask you this because I think the one thing that struck me about this, and I kind of again I just saw it, but my God, uh, the um, ecological implications on this movie, mm-hmm. and you know, I I was sitting there, I'm thinking strip mining, I'm thinking, um, uh, you know, just just global warming and everything. It's just amazing how, and, and again, this is what I'll say about Avatar. It works well. I mean, it's mm-hmm. aged well. I don't think it's. I don't think it's like an out of date movie. No, I mean the joke for years after it came out was, uh, you know, this movie is just uh, Pocahontas in space, or it's just Fern Gully or Dances with Wolves, um, but told on another planet. And and to an extent, they're not wrong. Like that's what the story is. It's a very simplistic story. And Cameron's even gone on record saying, like, yeah, there's a very strong environmental issue, uh, you know, stance in this movie. He's like, I'm basically a tree hugger. That's kind of what I want. He he has some environmentalist stuff going on. At least he claims to. Um, one thing you can never say about a James Cameron film is that it looks cheap. Uh, he, he has always been one to really push the limits of what technology can do, putting stuff onto film and kind of creating that spectacle, whether it's, um, you know, something as simple as, uh, or not simple, but something as, um, as interesting as kind of the fluid dynamics and the things that he did in abyss. And then later on it with the liquid metal in Terminator two, um, Everything that they did building those sets and Titanic, whether you like the story of Titanic or not, the the visual spectacle of it is is second to none. And I think that's that's also in on display in Avatar. Visually, stylistically, it is unreal how good this movie looks, and still looks thirteen years later. And uh, agree whole agree wholeheartedly. You 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 hit a point there, and again. While while people may have forgotten about this movie or have 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 kind of let it go, the flip around on this is the movie works all this time. You know, it's funny because I I, I really thought the latest James Bond movie, mm-hmm. um, No Time to Die. Remember, they had filmed that in 2019. Yep. And I could not believe 
how that storyline worked so well in 2021. I was just stunned. And the other part of it, let's go to Top Gun Maverick. The Top Gun Maverick, if you in the movie, it was 2020. It was supposed yep. to be out in 2020. And they didn't change any, any of the photography and stuff. The storyline still played well because of the way it was portrayed. And again, you have, you know, they were kind of, you know, well, there's a foreign power that's doing this. It wasn't, you know, the bad guys. It's not the Russians. It's not the, you know, Middle East. It's, it, it's, it's you know, a bad group. They don't say yeah. who. But again, that plays well. I think that worked really well. And, and again, I think with Avatar, again, the first movie took place in 2156, if I'm not mistaken reading that. Yes. Yep. Mid-22nd century. So... Again, even if you, you, you move it a couple of years ahead, um, it'll be curious to see what happens and, and, and how the characters develop. Because, again, you know, Sam Worthington has a little more experience behind him. Uh, Zoe Saldana, of course, you know, we, we know the trials and tribulations she's been going under lately. Um, you know, Sigourney Weaver, I mean, Sigourney Weaver is... You know, you mentioned James Cameron. I mean, how many movies James Cameron was, did she star in? I mean, come on. You know, yeah, it's, she's the original alien. It was funny because she almost wasn't cast in this because of that. He almost didn't cast her because he didn't want to be. He didn't want people to be like, "Oh, it's just it's Sigourney Weaver in another James Cameron film like Aliens." But she she was perfect for that role. She's great in this movie. Her care. It's funny that you say characters and how they develop. Uh, going into the sequel because it would be nice to see characters develop. Um, because if I have a problem with this movie, the I am I, and I will preach this from the mountaintops all the time. I like uh, plots to be simple, but I want characters to be complex. So give me the simple like uh, an example of that is um, it's going to sound weird to say it this way, but the oceans movies for as convoluted as they can seem. Yes. Those plots are very simple. Yes. It's guy wants to yes. steal something, figures out a way to do it, steals it at the end. But they they make all the complexities into the characters and the character interaction. So the actual A to B to C plot progression is pretty simple. Um, that's To me, that's what makes a movie work. That's what makes storytelling work is keep your stories simple, keep your char- make your characters interesting. If I had a problem with this movie, it's that the characters, to me weren't interesting enough. Um, I feel like the only character that had any sort of an arc whatsoever was Jake Sully, and his arc felt forced. It felt too quick. Um, he went from, you know, guy down down on his uh, luck and down on his life and stuck in the wheelchair to, like, I found my purpose in the span of 96 days is what this movie takes place in. Um, he has three months because they mentioned that in the beginning of it when the colonel tells him you got three months to get these uh, these Navi to move because that's when the dozers get there. And so that to me, like that's not enough time to go through what I think what he did and make the, the changes that he did. But he's the only one that has any changes. The colonel is exactly the same from beginning to end. And that's fine. He's your he's your antagonist. So you can have that. But you've got Giovanni Ribisi's character is a two dimensional character and doesn't change whatsoever but i was gonna i was gonna say to you i thought he did evolve a little bit because i think as time went on as they started to get uh, to to become a little more forceful 
I, I think he, you can tell, he's a great actor, by the way. He, he, I just, I think he's wonderful. And I thought his character, at the end, he was kind of like, I don't know if I like this. I don't like this idea we're going after him. I mean, he... You understand what I'm saying? Yes, and I think that there's some reluctance from him, but he's still, like, at the end of the day, he just doesn't care about anything on this planet but getting the MacGuffin, um, which... That's a whole other thing I want to talk about. Um, the the actual use of the term unobtainium for the material that they're mining from the planet. Um, because I knew you were going to bring that up. I wasn't sure when, but I knew it was going to come up. I remember sitting in the theater, and they he he picks that rock up and he says, "You see this unobtainium?" And I was and and I audibly said to my like, "Really." I mean, you can't even pretend to give it like a, a techno babble name. You're just going to go that for me. And, and again, I like James Cameron, but that felt like a lazy point in the writing where he's just like, ah, oh, who cares? No one's going to care what we call it. Right. They're going to be too. It almost feels like it was a hand wave of like, you won't care what we're saying because the visuals are going to take your breath away. And that's where if you're spending as long as he spent making this movie, and from not just the four years of production, but he started working on the story supposedly in the mid-90s and spent 10 years just working on the story and kind of letting the technology catch up to where his vision was before he started making it. I feel like you could do, you could put some polish on that script and, and make up a fake name for your substance and do a little bit better than that. But like that sort of, it, it, it came down to like, the character of, I think it's Selfridge is his name, uh, Giovanni Ribisi's character, who, Ribisi is a, fa- yes. is a fine actor. I like him a lot. Um, I've always enjoyed, because he, he always brings something to roles that he plays, and even his charisma couldn't break through this kind of just stale, like, I'm Bob Evil. I'm the bad corporate overlord. Um, all I care about <laughs> is money. Like, it was just so blatantly obvious. And... Stephen Lang is the same way. Stephen Lang is fantastic. I love seeing him in stuff. He's great in this for the one note that they want him to play, which is angry military guy. But you can't have, like, for me, yeah. for me, you can have one of the two of those, right? You can have angry military guy or you can have smarmy corporate guy. But I don't want both of those because it's, it's now there's, like, nothing for anybody to play off of. And the two of them just become kind of stale to me. So that's that's where I ended up here. Like I could have taken one or the other. I would I would prefer Lang in this, the the colonel, because with the character of Sully being a Marine who had lost his legs, um, that to me is a more compelling uh, story. And like ha- mentioned more relatable Selfridge. for the two. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and there's yeah, there's and there's conflict that can that can be played with in there that they did. Um, but then have either Selfridge like not there at all and he's just there they mentioned the company because that felt very uh alien universe to me right the whole working for the company and like it felt like there was world building and there was plot points and things that they wanted to get across so they just sort of like hit the cutting room floor uh stuff that happened back on earth there's some mention at one point sully says you know we have no green left on our planet and it's like well wait what's going on with that you know have we just strip mined the entire planet and now we're just like a parasite a virus moving through the galaxy doing the same thing to other planets like that kind of got independence day. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly 
Um, but it just kind of got hand waved away. And like, that's the kind of stuff I want to, I want to hear at least a little bit about that. Give me some exposition there. I don't need everything laid out for me, but there was that, that felt like for as big and as grandiose a movie as this is, there wasn't a lot of like world building, which feels really strange given the visual world building that they did. But do you think possibly, and, and I say this because um, I don't think I don't think um, I, I don't think Cameron envisioned because, as I recall, and if I'm not mistaken, I thought they announced the sequel for it right after the movie had come out when it when it was so good. They said they're going to do a sequel, but then it kind of got put on the back burner for a while. And and I say this because I kind of wonder if we're going to see some of that in this movie. You know what you say, what you say mm-hmm. if we're going to see that backstory sort of. Um, because, because again, I just kind of, you know, the other part of this movie is, uh, again, runtime. It's a little bit on the longish side. Now, you're right, the visuals are wonderful, but it is longish. And we have become, um, for lack of a better term, MT or MTV like. We have a short attention span. Mm-hmm. Movies, if they're longer than 90 minutes, you have to really be sucked in to watch this movie or else you're going to be sitting there looking at your watch and you're going to be like, ah, how long is this taking? And that's one of the things I kind of wonder with the first movie, if they, they thought you would get to that point and it was as long as it was, that's, that's part of this, you know, because of this Titanic is also a long movie. Yep. And the fact, and, and, you know, and I was looking back at the notes on uh, Wikipedia, and I thought it's kind of interesting what you brought up about the script and stuff. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director. Didn't win. It only won for art, and it won for cinematography. It did not win for any of those. So I think what you bring up is one of the problems with this movie. But again, a popular box office movie never, ever does well at the Oscars. And that's because... The Academy Awards favor those artsy movies. They don't favor box office movies. They do. You, you're correct there in that the Academy definitely favors uh, a more art house style. However, I wouldn't have uh, voted for this movie for a best director or best picture in so much as there's been in the last few years, there's been a thing with uh, especially some of the, the more highfalutin filmmakers, the Martin, Martin Scorsese's and stuff likening um, certain styles of film, mostly MCU or, or thus kind of popcorn fare, as like theme park rides, which I don't think is entirely fair uh, because I, there is story there. But I, I also, I get a little bit of where, like, say, Scorsese's coming from because he's got a very certain style of film he likes to make. And it, he's not into comic books, and so he's not going to appreciate that storytelling in the same way. Um this does feel like it could fit into that mold very, very easily. Uh, it's not quite like a full-on. Um, I don't know if you remember old, old IMAX, um, like like late '90s IMAX stuff where they were literally like theme park rides uh, on a screen. You had the yes. big, yes. those big glasses. Yes. It's not that, um, but it leans more in that kind of a direction where it's, it's, there was a lot of visual spectacle. There's a lot of protracted scenes of of this beautiful landscape that they created for this this planet of pandora 
or this, I guess it's a moon probably, but, um, but I felt like some of that was done at the expense of storytelling and, and, uh, in that aspects of things so that like the technical end of things was definitely Oscar worthy. I wouldn't have given a screenwriting Oscar to this because there's just, it's very flat and it's very, again, simple plots. Fine. Characters were also very simple and the characters were very cookie cutter. And I felt like there was, there was stuff that would happen and you'd be like, well, wait, why? Like norm. Okay. Who norm, uh, as a character is fun. He's the nerdy, kind of, you know, the the super excited to be there guy uh, that you get. But then there's a point where uh, he's very, he's just kind of a dick to Sully for like a third of the movie. And we get, we're supposed to gather all of that from one shot of him looking upset because Sully got chosen by the tribe to learn their ways and it wasn't Norm. But all we get is, a single like three second shot of that. And then he's just a jerk to him for a while before eventually coming around. I'm like, well, let's get a little more there. Let's, let's develop that relationship some, because up until that point, they'd been perfectly friendly. And for him to just do a full 180 on him, well, that, you know, could be like, there was no interaction with Norma and anyone else to be like, you know, it should be me or any of that. Like, that's the kind of stuff where I feel like a, a script, that is just just punched up a little bit gives you a little bit more so you can kind of fill in some of those blanks um again it's not bad you know i i i i taking that that a step further i i think it's also an indictment and and it's funny because um i think if you watch a movie from the 60s Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I, I use James Bond, the first couple of James Bond movies, even, even gold Goldfinger too. those movies. There are scenes where it, it just, it takes some time. They told a story, you know, gone with the wind, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, wizard of Oz. I'll, I'll even say, and we're talking about two of the greatest movies of all time, but again, there, it's, it's slow in nature. And again, that's part of, in all, in my lifetime, I, I'm, I'm just turned 63. In my lifetime, we've seen this 180 shift. Everything is bang, 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 bang. And that's part of the reason why I think we cry out when we get a movie like a Titanic. Let's face it, Titanic, um, uh, Avatar. Uh, those movies come along once in a while. Mm-hmm. And you want them, you, you, you sit there and you kind of, Oh yeah, I want this movie. I want this movie. When you see it make all the box office, you say, "I wanted to check all the boxes." The problem is when it doesn't, it disappoints you. But again, part of it also is the nature of movie making. And I, again, I think you you don't know. I, I I I know this is a story. I mean, they talk that you know this is the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. And mm-hmm. In fact, The Godfather just played. I live in Savannah, Georgia. And they just played it at a local movie house Friday night on the big screen. And, and, and I wanted to go in the worst way because I think I love that movie. And also they just did the making of uh, miniseries oh, yeah. on, uh, or, or a series on um, Paramount Plus, which was just phenomenal. And, of course, also, you know, James Conn just passed away. Yep. So, so there, there's so much of this. But The Godfather itself, the movie was just such a great movie but 
that I don't think you could make a Godfather like that today because it would be done for the MTV generation. Quick, quick, quick. And I really think that's kind of what you have here with Avatar. I think there is a lot of people who are looking forward to this movie. But, you know, again, in terms of sequels, you know, I, there's always this rule of three sequels, a, a movie and two sequels, or uh, three. First one's great. Second one stinks. Third one is better. Usually that third movie will, will, will be better than the second one. May not make the first one. And I'll use that in terms of Star Wars, except for the first three movies, you know, because one was just universally ripped to shreds. Um, but I think the third one was very good. And again, the first Star Wars, which was four, was wonderful. Two, notch down. Three, up a notch. Again, it's not going to hit that number one. And then seven, eight, nine, the same thing. Seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I think it's 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 strange. I would disagree with the rankings of the Star Wars movies, but that's a conversation we could have another day. <laughs> I think that okay. Empire, I, I would put Empire as a better story and a better uh, a better film than A New Hope, but A New Hope is a different experience. Um, and then I put Return of the Jedi below those. Not that it's bad, but I feel like it retreads a lot more of what the first movie did. Uh, whereas the second one was trying to go in a different direction a little bit. Uh, similar to what I think with 7, 8, and 9. I think that uh, 7 tried tried to kind of play on the nostalgia a little bit, bring you back, say, look, look, we can, we can do Star Wars still. Star Wars can be good. It can be fun. It can be what you remember it. They gave it over to Ryan Johnson, who said, now we're going to go in a totally different direction. Not everything that he chose worked. But I think he he asked some interesting questions, and then they backpedaled and tried to retread again a little too far with the ninth movie. But you know that that being what it is, it's interesting the the runtime thing and like the the MTV generation because that's that's a debate that's been going on since probably the early '90s of like everything's getting shorter and attention spans are, are this and that, and it's true to an extent. And I know some people who who will say straight out. If a movie's more than 90, 95 minutes, I don't want to watch it. I don't understand that because the same person can sit down and binge through four episodes of an hour-long drama and sit for the same or for twice that amount of time. But there's something in the breakup of the way that that stuff is broken up. So, you know, there's probably a great psychological discussion that could be had over all of that. But for me, what it comes down to, I don't care what the runtime is of something. I want to know what the pacing is of that something. Okay. Avengers Endgame is three hours long, but I enjoy watching it because the pacing is great. The example I like to give is uh, The Green Mile. When that came out in 1998, that movie is three hours long. I walked out of the theater after watching that not feeling like I'd sat there for three hours at all. The pacing of that movie was so good, and the story unfolded in a way that it never felt like it dragged at any point, and it is a solid three hours long. Um, this movie, Avatar, is two hours and 42 minutes, uh, which is a little shorter. Titanic was just a, a tick over three hours. Um, and Cameron, I mean, with the exception of The Terminator, doesn't like to make short movies. That was his shortest movie at an hour 47 minutes, which I'll tell you, that movie at two-plus hours would not have worked at all, that particular movie. Now, Terminator 2, um, that was two hours and almost two hours and 20 minutes. 
And that worked because it was a different story structure and he was able to stretch some things out and it was okay. Um, but again, he paced it well. He managed, he, he figured out where to throw the action sequences, where to put um, things. This one, to me, the pacing was fine, but I do feel like on repeated viewings, some of the sequences do feel stretched out, like the flying, especially when he first starts flying. Um, that just goes on. It keeps going. But, okay, but I think one of the, I, 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 again, you, you, the, the, the clip you played going into this, I think, kind of sets that up because of, of what it meant to the, your central character, mm-hmm. who's, a, who's a paraplegic. Uh, this is his. This is his dream, and to be able to fly. I, I understand what you're saying about the flying sequences are uh, are extended, but it works for me. I, I think it's okay, and and it's funny when you say that about movies because Forrest Gump, um, Forrest Gump. I, I want to say Forrest Gump was was a was a two plus hour movie. I think two and a half to the almost. And the thing about Forrest Gump was. I thought it was great, and Tom Hanks was wonderful in that movie. You know, there are some movies that I can't wait for them to finish, mm-hmm. but I, I think you're right about, a, the, listen, a good movie, a good movie that is well-paced and keeps your attention is one that you're not going to walk out of the theater and say, oh, my God. You know, and you just mentioned uh, uh, Avengers Endgame. I just sat and watched it again on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And and I've seen I saw it in the theaters. I I saw it. I think that movie is so good and the scenes that get you are at the end when it is re- they really take their time on it. And I thought they did a wonderful job. Now, granted, um I I I I'm I'm not a huge Avengers MCU guy. Um but I thought that movie, it just it worked, and I always thought Endgame was wonderful. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I and I, 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 I think it was it, what was what was so interesting and what was so funny is Josh Brolin um, was in that movie, in Deadpool, and there was I think one other movie he was in. He was in all these movies back to back. They all shot him at different times, of course, mm-hmm. but he was so good in all of them. And again, oh yeah, he's he was a great fantastic. actor. He was in, uh, you know, back to the back, to, uh, uh, Men in Black Three. He was wonderful. But again, he's a good actor. Um, mm-hmm. You asked right off the bat, Sam Worthington, about him as the lead. You know, again, I, I don't it, it, it help me on this one. I, I haven't looked it up, but uh, has he done anything other than Avatar uh, since then? Uh, He's done a few things here and there. He was in the here? Terminator Salvation uh, with Christian Bale. That would have been uh, after Avatar. Um, he did the follow-up of Clash of the Titans with Wrath of the Titans, which would have been after this. I think Clash was right around the time of this. My thing with, with Sam Worthington isn't that, like, first of all, I'm sure he's a fine person. I haven't heard anything bad about him in that way. I don't think his acting is bad. I do question why so many movies, uh, because I'd seen him in a few things, seem to want to make him do an American accent. And especially at this time, his American accent just wasn't consistent. Um, He even said in, uh, I was reading some trivia, that he had less trouble learning the Navi language for this movie than he did trying to perfect his American accent. Um, But, you know, that 
that is kind of neither here nor there. I just, I feel like he's wooden a little bit. He's, there, there is a certain thing called the, like the neutral mask um, in film, which is the, the characters, especially in an action movie, where the main character is almost a neutral mask. He doesn't have a ton of his own personality. Most of that personality goes into the villain characters. That way, the audience can slide themselves into the shoes and, and project themselves into the character of this. Keanu Reeves was really good at that in like the Matrix movies, for instance, um, of playing that part where you can kind of, you almost can feel yourself as Neo through his performance with the way that he's giving it. And I feel like, like they kind of sort of were going for that a little bit with Sam Worthington, but he just doesn't have, he's missing something in this movie that makes me believe his, his progression. And I don't know if it's because it felt like it took place over too short a period of time for the character to really make that change, or it never felt like the version of Jake Sully that was in the wheelchair talking to the military about how to take down the big tree if they need to was any different from the version of Jake Sully who was in his avatar talking to the Navi people. Like I didn't feel like there was a, a, a uh, evolution of him that, that felt like it didn't like, it wasn't just written out that that was going to happen for him. Like his actual performance didn't feel as though it evolved to me. Uh, okay. But I think part of it also is the fact that you're dealing with, he, he's disembodied from the Navi. Mm-hmm. He's disembodied from that character. You know, it's it, it's an avatar. And I, I, I think that that, I think you're judging or we're trying to judge him on, you know, a, a normal role. And, and I think that this is, this is a different role for him. Um, you know, you, you, um, you, you look at, um, what he has to do. And again, it, it's like, it, it's kind of like, you know, you're being, you're in a remote, you're remoting away and you're trying to react and do all this stuff and you're not there. And I think that that woodenness I think is part of the character because his body, it, it's an avatar. It, again, I, I keep using that avatar word because he is an avatar. The difference is I think Sigourney Weaver has such experience that that it, it it made her a better actress and she was able to pull it off better. Does that make sense? I mean, I can kind of see that, but we're also, in terms of like the context of the movie, we're also kind of led to believe that he just sort of naturally takes to this because here you have, I mean, you, look, obviously we've got to throw logic brain out the window to for this movie to work at all. But even more so when you have the trope of like, oh, he had a twin brother who was part of the program who was the scientist. He literally knows nothing about this program, yet he can work he can work the avatar perfectly the first try with no problems whatsoever. Um, so we sort of have this idea that like he's just naturally good at that. Uh, and he's naturally gifted to that point. But you mentioned Scorny Weaver, and she was great in that she embodied the character she was playing, and I felt I felt and believed in her. I felt and believed in Norm. Um, it's just something with Sam's performance in this. Again, he's he's not bad, and I do feel like he's come a long way. Um, and and I'm curious to see what he does in these sequels because I would like to see uh, sort of his progression as an actor. 
Um, but uh, he, I mean, he's been steadily working. Like he just, he was in Hacksaw Ridge uh, in 2016. Uh, he was in a TV series called Manhunt. Um, actually did some voice work in Black Ops 4, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, which I did not know. Um, okay. So he's, he's kept working. But I want to see... Oh, he's done... Okay, the character of Alex Mason in the Black Ops games, I guess, was his. So that that one fits. But I would just like to see... I would like to see his progression as an actor because I read after... Obviously, I saw this in theater and then saw it again for, for the show. And afterwards, I was reading, you know, the, the whole IMDb thing of like, you know, this actor and this actor were also uh, thought of for the role. And nine times out of ten, I throw those out the window because it's always Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and... Like any, any movie, <laughs> any movie produced from 1982 to like 1998 will have Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. We're up for the role of whomever in IMDb. But the two names they mentioned were Jake Gyllenhaal and Matt Damon. And yes, I could like I'm trying. I'm picturing Matt Damon in 2009 playing the character of Jake Sully, and something about that. There's a there's an emotional component that I think either one of them could bring, really. Gyllenhaal, too. Gyllenhaal, I feel like, got kind of underrated as an actor earlier in his career. And since, like, 09, 10, he's, he's, like, End of Watch was kind of that first movie where he sort of impressed me with his, like, overall acting ability. And it just kept getting better. But I feel like there's, there's something emotionally that they can bring that that's what I think I was missing with Sam Worthington is there was this, like, emotional... Um, almost like an emotional uncanny valley, right? Like, instead of missing that sort of, it was missing that humanity. There was just something there. And maybe it was by design. I don't know. It just didn't quite land for me. And so it was, I want to see him in this sequel, and I'm hoping that uh, that he will, his his growth as an actor will translate to screen. Because also, you know, let's be honest, part of it is, it's difficult to act the way they had to for most of this movie with a rig on your face and the motion capture dots and doing all of that stuff. It's not easy to be Andy Serkis and just nail, like, do Oscar-worthy performances while wearing that gear. Um, and, and, and you know, you're talking about uh, Sam Worthington, and I'm just looking at uh, the info on it, and this was the first major role for him. And I, I think that there's, again... Your your first major role is this monster movie, this this you know once in a lifetime movie, mm-hmm. and so where do you go? Where do you go from here? You know what what else are you going to do from here? Yeah. And again, I I, I think if you're looking at who he's going up against, Stephen Lang. Well, I mean he's done a lot of great movies. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. Um, Hello, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, Michelle Rodriguez. You know, hello. That's that's where I'm going with the only one who he, he kind of um, is unequal with. I I, I want to say is is Joel David Moore because you know I'm watching the movie and I go, oh yeah, uh, uh, what's his name from um, uh, Dodgeball? And I'm yeah. like, oh, I know him. You know, and that was, but but again. Where have you, what else have you seen from him? And I kept, you know, I kept waiting for, you know, that, that, that to come through, but still, I, I think you, it, it's, 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 it's so difficult 
to start or to have this type of movie as your first major role. And then everything is going to be judged against it. And I, I, I again, I think I, I'll be curious to see, maybe you're right. I want to see how he's developed and how he's developed as an actor in this, in this role. Because again, he's going to be there with the same people as before. So you'll get a chance, you know, you, you kind of uh, judge yourself when you're, when you're uh, in, in sports or anything, you judge yourself against like people and how mm-hmm. you do. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does this time around. And, and again, what you say is true. You don't hear of any of this, you know, he's got a big head. He, he thinks he's better than he really is. Um, and so, so again, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But again, uh, you know, you're, you, you have a right to question it. And, and I think you're right on that, but I, I just think it, it's tough to, to really sit there and critique him on, on his first, on his first go round. Again, after this, then I think you, you, you have a point here in saying, you know, if he does another bad job uh, in your mind, you say, I don't know about Sam you know. Yeah, and and again, he there's nothing wrong with Sam Worthington. He you know, he had been he had been acting. This was his first big big role, but he had been acting uh, for eight or nine years at this point when he made this movie. Um, he started his first credits are back, you know, being on JAG in 2000 uh, TV series and doing a few movies here and there. But to flip the script on you a little bit is think of another James Cameron film and somebody who was getting into their first acting bit, and that's Edward Furlong in Terminator 2. Here's a kid who, whose voice literally changed while making the movie, so much so that they had to go back and re-record some of his dialogue because his voice had dropped halfway through the movie. Um, but he had, there was something with his performance and his emotional connection playing off of Linda Hamilton, playing off of Arnold, where you can see that acting ability in him um, at such a young age. And I feel like that there was something just missing there. And I don't know if it's the disconnect of you got to act on a soundstage surrounded by green screen and there isn't actual things there for you to act off of, whether it's the creature uh, effects or if you're... You know, you're standing around acting with a bunch of people in spandex suits covered in, in ping pong balls. That's a totally different type of acting, and it's not going to be easy. And so, to do that early on in your career, again, I just want to see. I want to see Sam Worthington uh, and how he's progressed because after this, he did Clash of the Titans, which he was okay in it. But I had some more issues with that movie as a storytelling thing as well. That that movie bothered me because the original. Clash of the Titans with Harry Hamlin. Perseus goes on his quest because of his love for Andromeda. And in the remake, Perseus goes on his quest because of his hatred of the gods. And I'm like, that's a completely different storytelling uh, angle. And I didn't like it as much. Like the more I thought about it, the more I didn't like that. But he had done that. He did um, Terminator Salvation. So he did a few things. I just want to see. Now I want to see, because I haven't seen him in a few years. I want to see how he, he does coming back to something like this. Because this world of Pandora and this this uh, this idea of Avatar, there's a lot there that you could explore. And I think what ended up being my my only my my major gripe with the movie and why it's not something that I just fawn over and want to watch over and over is 
kind of the untapped potential of that. And it's like the story, what you gave us on screen feels like, like it was only two thirds of what we should have gotten. Like we should have gotten a little bit more, like maybe trim. Cause not only is the flying scene that I mentioned kind of long, but there are several other scenes that just feel like it's uh, protracted establishing shots of like, look at the cool thing we've made. Look at the, look at the cool floating mountains. Like, yeah, that's great but we don't need four minutes of them flying through the, the floating mountains. We don't need uh, the first time they as, uh, as um, avatars go into the jungle and drop down. Like that scene keeps going and going and going. And then we have the action sequence where he's getting chased by the whatever tiger-like creature that seems to go on for mm-hmm. probably longer than it needed to yeah. after having yeah. the stare down with the big, uh, the big hammerhead rhino. And it's like, let's let's trim some of that and let's give our characters some more work. And so my hope is that maybe Cameron will do a little bit more of that. Now that he's now that he has created the spectacle and he's given us all this amazing stuff to look at, now take that and incorporate it into your story and refine your story and your characters and give us something really good that the pacing feels a little bit better on. Because I that and that you know, I, I admit that that is that is my opinion on it, and it doesn't necessarily have to. It's not the correct opinion, or um, or any better than anyone else's. And I don't think that this is a bad movie. I enjoyed watching it again, but I did notice the pacing of it. This felt like two hours and forty five minutes, um, as opposed to feeling and, like and, something and, that's just moving along and keeping my attention the whole time. And, and it's funny you, you mentioned that because one of the things I was just looking up and, and I, I wanted to say, I thought I had remembered this. They had released, you know, when it, when it did uh, re- re- take over first place again in terms of um, uh, top grossing movie of all time, yep. um, it was a special re-release and it was re-edited. And, <laughs> and that's, and, and, and again, that's what I, I, I wanted to see if they had done that because, I, I mean... I'm a I'm a movie buff, and I get the biggest kick out of getting Blu-ray movies because a I like the uh, director or the the, the special the, the special uh, soundtrack where they talk about the movie. Oh yeah, or well, also the cutscenes, the cutscenes, and and I just that's what I find so fascinating. And I think, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing this or this movie uh, just because I'd like to hear some things. Um, but again, anytime I get a vi- I get a a, 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 a movie because I will always there. I, I won't buy move a lot of movies, but like, and I'll use uh, the James Bond movie as an example. No Time to Die. Bought it as soon as it came out. Pulled it out and I looked at the deleted scenes and the recuts and how they redid it and stuff. And I just find that stuff fascinating. And by the way, one of my favorite Blu-ray releases is Christmas Vacation. Because the second the audio channel was the director Johnny Galecki, um, uh, I think I think Randy Tra- I, I think um, uh, Randy Quaid did it. Okay, and uh, Miriam Flynn and um, Beverly D'Angelo, and I got to tell you, it was so entertaining to listen to and to find out the backstory. And, and and the best one I think about it is they're talking about the scene. And they're up in the mountains when they're shooting the um, uh, riding of the saucer. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Beverly just said, oh, yeah. 
I was back at the, I didn't have to be at that. So I was back at the, I was back in the hotel emptying the mini bar. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, that's what, that's, and then the other part of it is, and I, 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 the other part of that, and I don't mean to protract on this, but the scene where they turn the lights on in front of Clark's house, mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Galecki could not be in that scene because it was shot so late at night. So you don't see him hugging his father. And I'm like, Oh my God, I never noticed that. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that I just eat up and I think is so great. So I guess I, 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 maybe I need to look at that for this avatar to see any some more of that stuff. I, it would be fascinating because I am with you. I love behind the scenes. I love, I love seeing, uh, you know, I've done films um, and I've made some projects when I was a, a kid and I've done a little bit as an adult, uh, you know, and, and I'm talking like, like uh, cable access level stuff. Um, but but I know enough, and I, I I had friends that went to film school, so I got to go on to movie sets with them and stuff like that. So I'm always fascinated by the background, and I love listening to directors talk cra- talk shop and talk about their craft. You know, I love um, Brad Pitt and uh, and um, David Fincher uh, on the commentary track for Fight Club is fantastic uh, because it's a it's a great combination of like talking about making the movie and then ribbing each other at the same time. You know, Brad Pitt making fun of like, yeah, this was a really dark scene and, and David uh, Fincher kind of going off for 30, 40 seconds about the, the tone of the scene. And, the, and then Pitt's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, we're horribly underlit in this scene. You can't see anything. It's too dark. Like that kind of stuff. I love like Cameron Cameron back uh, background stories are great because he's difficult to work with uh, the, the stories of making aliens. Um, if you ever watch, and I, I talk about it a lot on this show, but the, the Netflix series, the movies that made us, they have an entire one on aliens and making it. And some of the stuff that happened while they were making that movie is incredible. Like his clashes with the production develop, uh, the production department in England while making that movie are legendary. Um, this apparently the, the rumor, no, this is rumor. So who knows how true this is is that in making Avatar, he kept a nail gun on set. And if somebody's cell phone went off, he would take the phone and nail it to a wall. I don't know if that actually happened, no. but but given other stories I've heard of James Cameron, I wouldn't put it past him to do. To just be like, give me the phone and just <laughs> staple it to a wall and move on. <laughs> well, you know, again, that that's the type of thing, listen, that's the type of thing, you know, there is a quirkiness to uh, directors. Um, one of uh, uh, Liam Neeson's early roles was in the movie The Deadpool. Yep. Uh, with uh, Dirty Harry, Dirty Harry movie, and I just recently watched that, and you know he was playing this director who was a little over the top. You know he was he was a B movie director, but I, I got a kick out of that, and and it was enjoyable to see some of this stuff. And, and, and how they did it and how we, you know, the craft type of thing and stuff like that. So I agree with you. You know, Cameron is in and of itself because of his success and because of what he's been able to do can take his time. He can do what he wants to. Now, oh, yeah. the other thing about James Cameron, the other thing about James Cameron, though, I want to say this is I get the feeling sometimes he's not a very happy man. And I say this because, well, let's see. Hmm. I think he's on his fourth marriage or fifth marriage. And that tends, I mean, I'm not trying to be the Acme judgment company here, but you know, uh, his longest marriage I think has been five years, 
six years, that that indicates you're not a happy person. He's also you know, and, and and yeah, he also comes across as somebody who who's very dedicated to his craft. And I, I think that when it comes to relationships, I think that, that can make it really difficult. I mean, he's, you know, whether it, he takes a long time in between his movies, but he's working on stuff during all of that. You know, between Titanic and Avatar, he was doing documentaries about the Titanic and about deep sea diving. And I think after Avatar, he did uh, a few things where he went to South America um, and visited with um, like some of the tribes down there i i don't know exactly but like he does stuff in between his movies as well as just pouring himself into the the minutiae of filmmaking and the technical aspects of it um so i think that can make it difficult sometimes to be around because he's singularly focused and that's why i can believe that he would nail people's phones to a wall on his movie set if it rang while he was trying <laughs> to do something because it just feels like the type of thing that he would do because he's so laser focused on I'm going to make this thing and I'm going to do it well and I'm going to do it my way and you're going to follow in the way that I want to make this you know something you mentioned cell phones and I think cell phones there there's a positive and there's a negative about them you know how many times do you hear about a Broadway actor or actress stopping when a phone rings and it's like what are you doing what are you doing you're supposed to turn your phone off and 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 so I think in some way, he's railing against modern society because, you know, I, I, listen, what really ticks me off as a person, as a pet peeve, I don't want to hear a conversation. All right, I got to hear your side because you're somewhere and you have this cell phone. Mm -hmm. But then you put it on speaker. I don't want to hear both sides. And I go to the, I, I perfectly go to the store at like, like eight o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. when there's nobody there. Oh, sure. And yet I got to hear these phone calls yeah. all over the store like I really freaking care so in that aspect I think James Cameron is you know listen I think he wants a certain decorum on set uh, he's got a right to do that he's a professional you expect him to give you his utmost attention and as an actor or actress you give him that and if you work on his thing you do your job so that I can see that and again that's what makes, you know, there are good directors, there are great directors. And I think James Cameron is a great director because of what he, what he puts into it. You're right. He gives of himself. He puts a lot in of himself. He's, he's, he's a, a technical director, too. When I say technical, he, he works his craft. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes James Cameron great. And, again, the proof is in the pudding. Look at the top ten highest rated highest grossing movies of all time and james cameron's the only one that's on there multiple times yeah he look as far as like technical acumen and filmmaking there are few that can rival cameron uh i feel like like there's a there's a balance point between that and uh and storytelling i, I and it's something where, like, it's my it's the same thing I have with, like, say, Christopher Nolan. I think Christopher Nolan is very similar to James Cameron in that he is very particular about the type of movie that he wants to make. He's going to make that movie, and there's going to be technical aspects of Nolan's films that are second to none. That just you cannot uh, you you are beyond reproach. And I think Cameron is the same way. Cameron makes things that are interesting to look at. Um, 
my only issue with Avatar was that I feel like for as long as it took to make, he could have maybe collaborated with somebody and worked the script a little bit more. But again, some of that is his his own work style. And, you know, to an extent, I'm sure there's some ego in play as well. And it's his movie. It's his script. He's going to do that, which is fine. And he's earned that right. After after Terminator, and then he goes on and he does Aliens, by that point he had earned his his right to do this, and he continues to do it, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, I I am going to see the Avatar sequels because it's good. The, the, the movie, to me, was good enough that I want to know more about what's going on. Yes, I and, and, and you know, part of that also, I want to take that a step further, is maybe... Maybe what you say or the fact that Avatar, while widely accepted to be this wonderful movie, you know, again, nominated for nine awards, only winning three in the in the Oscars. Mm-hmm. OK, that's at 30. That's at 33 percent, you know, or 30 percent rate success rate. Um, I wonder maybe if he got that message in a subtle way. I'm not saying he did. But it'll be curious to see. Again, I go to the the, the 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 threes, the law of threes in terms of sequel, original and two sequels. I kind of wonder if he breaks the mold this time, and maybe number two is as you said, um, uh, the Empire Strikes Back, better than New Hope. But uh, you know, again, New Hope was such a groundbreaking movie in the Star Wars realm. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one w- was, you know, again. I, I didn't like it as well as I liked the third one. That's just me, though. I mean, again, everybody will argue this. They have their favorites and stuff like that. I wonder if perhaps Cameron will take this. And, again, it's going to be interesting. And, and, you know, the other part of this, and, and I think, you know, I don't want to digress into this for a long time, but, you know, coming off the pandemic, Hollywood really needs to establish themselves and reestablish themselves. And it seems like they're starting down that road. But the problem is we've now hit a point in the summer, the summer movie season. Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw Top Gun. Wanted to see it. I saw Jurassic World. Wanted to see it. Saw the Elvis movie. Wanted to see it. Okay. Yeah. What's next? What What's next? What am I going to... Is the next movie I'm going to go see Avatar? I don't think so. But that's... Part of this is I think they've got to start finding their um, their mojo again because now, uh, again, part of it, part of it is, um, you know, Lightyear caught some heat. I mean, I thought that would be one I wanted to see, but Lightyear caught some heat, and I was like, okay, I'll wait till it's on Disney+, Plus because it's going to be on Disney+, Plus very soon. And, and too many people, I think, are taking that, so you kind of wonder, is Hollywood going to go back and start making these movies that are going to draw you into a theater because otherwise you sit at home where you've been for the last two years. I I just, that's kind of where I, what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. There, there's a whole change happening in the turn in the world of entertainment and how we consume entertainment. And it's been a gradual change over the last, I would say 15 to 20 years, Uh, which again, it's another conversation that, you know, we could spend probably hours on um, with the proliferation of streaming services and, uh, moving away from you know a network television model um, to more streaming service based stuff, you're seeing far fewer brand new shows 
uh, on network television and some more retreads of old stuff or, or relaunching properties that they already have the rights to. Um, and you're seeing more stuff go direct to streaming. Film is going to take long, has, has taken longer and will, it will continue to take longer to get there. But I do think we're seeing a change to where theater going is not going to be the only way to experience new movies. And it won't just be uh, something is theatrically released or it's crap sent straight to DVD, straight to video. We'll kind of see a mixture and, um, you know, the, there will be a change in terms of like the, the, the days of, you know, the 12, 14, 18 screen multiplex, I feel like are more and more numbered. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. I think it's just what's going to happen. Uh, with with the way that it's easier to watch things at home now, with the way that it's easier to consume what you want when you want, we're seeing the change. And it's not what the thing about it is. It's not something that you or I are going to experience in the same way because we didn't grow up with that. I grew up in movie theaters, going to theaters when I was in my teens. So did I. Starting so did I. Yeah. You know, starting off at, in theaters with my family, and then going as a teen, and then going in my twenties and all of that. That to me is a different experience than somebody who is twelve, thirteen, fourteen right now who has spent the last couple of years without that as a regular thing, didn't have it prior to that. The changes are happening. I know people that are in their early twenties now that are just like, I don't care about going to see a movie in a theater. I got a big TV at home. I can sit at home and watch it. And I'm fine with that because they didn't grow up with that. It's like appointment viewing when it comes to television. Uh, I do a podcast on classic TV where we talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing these shows like, I remember watching ALF, and you watched ALF on whatever Thursday night at 8 o'clock because that's when it was on. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you were lucky, mm-hmm. it was a show that was on long enough to get reruns. Young Younger people that didn't grow up with that and grew up with streaming services, now they can just watch what they want when they do. I, I got to tell you a story about this, and, and, and this is – I always tell this story. Um, I grew up in the you know the '60s and '70s when Saturday morning was the only time you got cartoons on network TV. Yep. And you know one of the shows I remember from my youth was Scooby Doo. Well, my daughter would watch Scooby Doo on Cartoon Network, and it repeated. And and I, I had to explain to her. I said, Stephanie, you have to understand something. Back in the in the '60s and '70s, you only saw these shows once a week and they would make 26 episodes and they would repeat them once, you know, once a year. So after you get those 26 episodes, and Scooby-Doo is interesting because the first two seasons were that 26 episodes they did. So they ran each, they ran on CBS four times. Then they ran another uh, 26 episodes of them. Well, she's watching them on Cartoon Network. They're on once a day. I said, honey, Think about this. 26 episodes is going to be done in four weeks. Yeah. You know, five times a day, four weeks. And I said, they did not make these shows for you to watch all the time. I said, that's what's so different about now nowadays. And, you know, again, you know, I remember when we got to watch Wizard of Oz once a year. Oh, yeah. Once a year it was on network TV. Same thing with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You watched it every year. Then videotape came in the 80s. You could watch it anytime. My daughter was watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer during 100-degree days in the summertime. Sure. It's just, it's amazing how things have changed. And 
your comment on that I think is valid, but I was going to take it a step further. If you want to go to the movies, you want a premium experience. And this is the fight I'm having where I I live in Savannah, Georgia. Now, in Savannah, Georgia, we have AMC in two multiplexes, okay? They are the worst theaters I've ever been in in my life. And I can get away with saying this because I'm not saying something. I have not tweeted mucho times to the guest relations folks of AMC. They are the worst theaters I've ever been in my life, okay? The thing of it is is that I got to a point where I got out of going. I used to drive 45 minutes to an hour to go to a theater with reclining seats in New Jersey because I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest theater, you know? And I did that. And, and where I'm going with this is now here in Savannah, we have a new theater that has reclining seats and all that stuff. I got to tell you something. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. But you flip it around, those AMC theaters are still there. Now, do we go to the AMC theaters? I'll tell you, we went to the theater last December, and they had no popcorn, no candy. What movie theater is going to open without any of those two things? Because they ain't making money on the tickets. So, and and I just, I'll always remember that. But that tells you something about those theaters. You want the premium experience. You want the reclining seats. You want the big popcorn bucket. You want the endless soda. That's what you're going to do. I think that's where it's going. I don't think we're going to see the end of multiplexes, but you're going to see people want experiences. And I, 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 I agree with you that a lot of people the experience of the big screen and the sound bar the sound system is great but still to see a movie i'm so glad i went and saw top gun in imax oh sure the reason i say that is because oh my god it was such a wonderful experience i saw jurassic world uh, jurassic world dominion in that imax theater the same imax by the way the world's tallest imax theater is located in pooler georgia yes indeed and i saw it there and i gotta tell you I was not as impressed with the IMAX for that. But having said that, and you still pay more for IMAX, but it's something that you'll do because you want this premium experience. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll still have that, but I think you're going to see big changes in addition to to what you mentioned about streaming and stuff and television and appointment viewing. We're going to see a big change in how we get television because I think streaming is the way it's going to go. And your local TV affiliate is going to go bye-bye. Oh, sure. That's been happening for the last 10 years. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that part of it, too, is that there are certain movies that, that beg to be experienced that way. Top Gun Maverick is one. This movie, honestly, Avatar mm-hmm. was a movie that was a completely different experience seeing it in a big screen with that sound system. Dune was a movie that was like that for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched it mm-hmm. both at home. And I have a... My, you know, I the the home version of it that I watched was on a large projected TV with a good sound system. Still wasn't the same as sitting in the theater um, and watching that movie. It's just you know there, there's changes happening, and I'm just really interested to see where they go because a lot of us are resistant to that change, and a lot of the industry is resistant to that change because they want to keep making money the way that they have, and the ones that are going to survive it are going to be the companies and the and the filmmakers and the creators that are willing to and, and interested in adapting and pivoting and changing things. The the creators that are not afraid to do something that will come out on a streaming service first 
and maybe get into a theater. Some movies, like there was the whole uh, um, lawsuit with Scarlett Johansson and Disney over Black Widow. A lot of that was because yes. of contracts that were already in place. If that movie hadn't right. been started until closer to the pandemic or during it or something, things would have changed. That's a reason why we waited so long to get Top Gun Maverick was because of the contracts that were in place. But you look at something like a, a Stranger Things that can continue to do what they're doing. They're making feature-length film uh, episodes. The The final episode of season four of Stranger Things is two and a half hours long because that's what they needed to tell their story. And it works and it looks good. It looked like something you could go and see in a theater. So we're seeing that stuff start to change and that money start to move around. I'm curious to see where it goes. and But I'm also very, very interested to see what somebody like a Cameron who started in film and was one of the early pioneers of doing digital and all digital filmmaking. And he's always been somebody that's kind of sat on the leading edge, but that leading edge gets further and further away the older that you get because... It just takes longer to adapt to new things. So I'm curious to see what he does with these next four movies because if he's making two movies back-to-back, let's say Avatar 2 comes out this year and you know, adjusting for what the theater landscape is like now completely bombs and just doesn't do well. Well, what happens with 3 now? How is that going to go? Is he going to just force that to be done the same way or is he going to try and leverage uh, getting something into a streaming situation uh, earlier or how I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm very curious to know because I do think Cameron is a compelling artist and a compelling director. And I like to see what he does. I just want to see kind of some more, like I feel like his, his uh, storytelling was getting better and better and better. And it was almost a step back from Titanic to avatar in terms of telling a story, showing a story. Oh, okay. I think he he's he continues to get better, but I feel like telling that story in a compelling manner took a step back when it came to Avatar. But the thing I'm I'm going to say about this is if you look at what is and you talk about the theater landscape and stuff like this, let's be realistic. Um, Titanic or excuse me, Avatar two is not going to do as well as the first Avatar because of two reasons. Number one, I think it is a movie that people will want to go to the theater for. You know, there are certain oh, sure. movies that people will want to go see that big screen. Mm-hmm. And again, part of it is nostalgia. And the nostalgia is you wanted to see, you know, Top Gun and the big screen, you wanted to see it. And again, it took 35 years, but it was well worth the wait. And it was wonderful. Okay. That having been said, I think Avatar will also get you into the theater the question is going to be, are they prepared? I, I, I think they think of this as a, a two-act sequel. So I think, I don't, I don't know if, if, if the second one bombs, whether the third one they'll change anything for. I think you're locked into these next two movies. I kind of wonder if you would see the shift for the latter two movies. You know, because remember, Most go back to... But go back to Star Wars. Remember Star Wars originally in, in 82, if I recall, they said, oh, they could envision this going um, uh, nine episodes. They, I think it was, I think you said nine episodes, you know, and this was the middle part of it. So when Lucas finally went back and did those first three and he said, I've had enough, I'm not going to do this anymore. 
And and that was and so you're like, okay. But then Disney comes along and they say, Okay, let's go and let's let's do Star Wars. And then they ended up doing it the original length, and now you've had all the spin-offs and stuff like that. I mean, they're taking it in different directions. The point I make is Avatar, I think you've kind of got a set a set path for the next two movies. So I don't think you're going to change anything for that because, again, it's within two years. To have meaningful change in terms of marketing and stuff, you've got to look four or five years down the road. And, again, I think it won't be these next two movies. But, again, if Cameron changes or if the studio changes, it's going to come in the other ones. And that's why you'll notice, again, I go keep going back to James Bond, the James Bond movies now, they're going to reboot the entire, the entire franchise, and that's because you've gotten to a certain point. And that's what Hollywood, you know, for better or for worse, that's what they're doing now. And part of it is because, again, people don't, people don't want to take a chance on a, on a new movie. When was, the last, when was the last movie that you went out there and you said, okay, here's a new different type of thing? And, and, and it's because... Well, I can tell you what one it was it for me, but it was just earlier this year. Go ahead. It was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Go ahead. Every, every, okay. Everything Everywhere All at Once. If you have not seen that movie, it is probably, for what I have watched so far in 2022, the best film I've seen this year. And I've seen okay. Dune, uh, I guess that was 2021 maybe, but I've seen uh, a, a lot of stuff this year. That movie blew them all away, and it's not... Uh, it's not based on anything. It's a completely original uh, story. It doesn't. There, there is a, there is a thing with filmmaking, which is filmmakers want to take uh, some risks and want to tell different stories. Studios don't. Studios want to want a bankable movie, and bankability comes with nostalgia, and it comes with familiarity, and that's why we've got twenty-something James Bond movies, and they only wrote, I think. Uh, they, it was uh, License to Kill was the f- last one that was based on a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. With the exception of Casino Royale, yeah. but that was Casino Royale was a reboot starting the, the franchise over essentially at that point in Well, Casino Royale was the first Bond, was the first Bond movie done in, in 1954. And then also it was, of course, the non-Bond movie that was done in 67. Right. Um, th- 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 but... Again, I understand what you're saying. I that, but you see what I what I'm talking about. You're right. They want what's tried and true, and they want to make money on it. That's why. By the way, that's why if you have not, and you do have Paramount Plus, you've got to watch the offer because oh my god, it's just so enlightening. And you talk about the movie marketing. I didn't realize that The Godfather changed movie marketing, and I didn't realize that because it used to be. You'd premiere in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. three theaters, and then you'd send it out into the country if it was a hit. Well, because you'd premiere, you'd premiere there, and you know the the people from the different markets would send their their people. They would watch it. They would decide if they wanted to buy it, and then show it in their theaters. And you know there was a whole industry of of guys who uh, whose job it was to go watch a movie and decide if they wanted to buy it and bring it to their theater. Um. And that completely but that's what changed. I, that's what I'm saying is the Godfather, the Godfather changed that, mm-hmm. and that's why we've seen this over the years. And I think now you're going to see a, se- a, a a seminal shift in this. But again, I go back to I, I'm still going to think I want the experience. I want that movie theater experience. I think one of my biggest disappointments was, and again, talking about movies, 
I went and saw Snakes on a Plane. Mm-hmm. I went and saw that movie, an afternoon matinee with three people in the theater. Sure. And when, when, when Samuel L. Jackson utters the line, I lost it. I was in hysterics. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Because the other two people were like, huh? And I'm like, that's a movie that just cried out. You had to see it with other people. Oh, sure. You had to see it in a theater. You know, just packed because you would have just been raucous. And, it, oh, you know. But having said that, I think that that's what movie. And you know something? Listen, you can say a lot of things. You, you can, Tom Cruise, is, you can take a lot of shots at. I mean, let's be realistic. But I got to tell you. I thought that opening to Top Gun was so good. Top Gun Maverick, by the way, yeah, was so good with him because I think it reached out to the people in the theater. They have been waiting for this movie for a while. He did it, and I didn't. I didn't sit there and go, "Oh, Tom, Tom Cruise is being disingenuous." I thought that was Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise. Oh, sure. And he's passionate about he's passionate about movies. Yeah. He's passionate about the big screen and he's passionate about this project just as he's passionate about you know mission impossible again we could talk about the fact that tom cruise you know how many years has he got left and you know we we haven't talked about about the avatar and the sequel is the fact that these these characters or these people actors and actresses have aged more than more than ten years. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver is now. Um, I mean, even with makeup, I think it's going to be tough to uh, portray her. Um, well, as she was in the original Avatar. She's Avatar. not. She's not playing that same character though. She's going to be playing the teenage daughter of uh, Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana's characters. She's a. She's okay. she's playing a full. She's voicing. And I think maybe mocapping, but doing a, a completely CG character. Um, okay, all right. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really interested in it. I, I, I and and I just, I'm just always interested in kind of where industry is going and where entertainment is changing because I can see both sides of it. I can understand when Christopher Nolan says, "Look, I'm making this movie and I want it to be seen in a big screen," and he's an artist and it's his art piece and he that's how he wants it showcased. However. That only goes so far. Like, as a painter, if you are painting and you want your stuff shown in a gallery, that's fantastic. You should you should have the opportunity to do that, but you can't force everyone to see it in that uh, that location either. And I think that for film and television, the the change that's being made is is becoming more accessible for other people. Whether it's uh, it's people that uh, can't get out to theaters don't like being out in a theater with a bunch of people. They can't enjoy something because their anxiety is just too high to sit in a theater full of people, whether it's uh, because of what's happened over the last couple of years or before that. I had friends of mine that didn't like going to the movies um, growing up because they just didn't like being in a room full of that many people. I get that. That's fine. They're more comfortable watching it at home. I think that you should have the option for either. I think that I don't want theaters to go away because I do think that that experience is something different. My my experience of seeing the movie Serenity in a theater is something that I will never forget because of what it was like to sit in that theater with that crowd and watch that movie opening night. But I also think that uh, that coming up with different ways to to put art out there, to put film out there, is great, and I want to see it all be viable. Um, 
and studios need to be able to adjust either expectations or ways in which they are going to fund films. Um, because for a long time it was uh, a, an actor would do the big budget film so that they could fund their smaller art, art house film that they wanted to make. You know, Michael Caine does Jaws the Revenge so he can buy a house and help finance the, the smaller movie that he wants to make. He can take that money and funnel it into that. So I think there's still a place for that. Tentpole movies aren't going away. Big blockbuster stuff obviously isn't going away with the way Spider-Man No Way Home made money this year, with the way uh, <laughs> Top Gun has made money. So I think that it's all there. I think that it's all very viable and very good. I just, I, I'm always fascinated by how it goes and how it changes and what changes. And television has been the one that's been kind of the litmus test for me and seeing how, you know, growing up watching, growing up when, when X-Files was hitting the airwaves and appointment viewing and every Friday night, I think it was, or whatever night of the week it was that X-Files was on, you were there to watch it and seeing all these shows and then seeing the evolution of it to now, you know, my, my former stepson, had no idea what that was like waiting around till a Thursday night at nine o'clock to watch a show. Cause he could watch whatever show it was whenever it came out. And we see a little bit of the back and forth with like Mandalorian or book of Boba Fett and some of the stuff that Disney's putting out on Disney plus where they're, they're putting them out an episode a week. It's still, you can watch it whenever you want, but you have to wait till that, that day that it comes out. Or some people will just be like, I'm just going to wait six weeks and then I'll watch them all at once. Either one of those works. Apple TV is Apple TV is doing that too, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, for all mankind and uh, and there's Ted Lasso. I mean, it, again, you're right. It's once a week, but it is a change. And you're right about how, you know, in our lifetime we've seen that change. You know, the appointment TV. Um, you know, Thursday night must see TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to strike a chord with somebody. Oh, who's, sure. who's who's listening or watching us. Because that and that wasn't that long ago. That was we're going back. Musty TV goes back to the '90s, so it's we're only talking 20, 30 years ago. But yet, you know, I, I just I find it fascinating. I, I really find it fascinating that we've gone from three networks, and in order for a show to be renewed, you have to have you had to have like a like a thirty share, yeah, for a show, and now. Shows are being removed with five share, six share, and that's of the people watching television. That's not the rating. I mean, the top-rated television show, is it a 12, 13? Whereas it used to be 30, 40? You know, I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. What, 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 well, it's what, also... What's happened. It's also the, the, the number of uh, options that you have now. When it was three networks, oh, yeah. you know, three networks and then a PBS channel maybe, or you get into the 70s and you start getting a couple of local channels in a bigger market and then you get into the 80s and cable starts to happen. There's just more options for people to do, plus the proliferation of things like video games, which will take some of that storytelling and put it in a different package it in a different form that certain people enjoy more. They want that interactivity with it. Um, so you've got your movies, you've got your television, you've got your video games, books, audiobooks, getting outside and just doing stuff, um, podcasts, uh, all, all of these different ways in which to take in information and entertainment that, uh, that spreads it out. But I think at the same time, it's also, it also makes for 
what we're getting to be distilled and to be better. Even if the rating isn't as high on a, on a global scale, it is a better, it can be a better product uh, because some things that rate high aren't that good, uh, but they're popular. Um, pop music can, can be that way. Now, not all of it, obviously. I'm not going to paint with a broad brush and just say pop music is terrible, but a lot of it is simplistic. It's not going to challenge you in the way that other forms of music might um, because it's not meant to. There's forms of television or movies that aren't meant to challenge you in the same way, but it doesn't, and and that doesn't make them any less important, but it does make them uh, easier to digest. Um, and then you can look at stuff that's very challenging, it's very difficult to watch. Something like, uh, you know, a Schindler's List is a fantastic movie, but I don't, I don't run out and and want to watch it again all the time like I do something like Jurassic Park, which is the same director the yeah. same year. So, you know, there's yeah. there's there's all sorts of stuff. And what I like is that there's all sorts of stuff for so many different people. And if Avatar is your thing, Avatar is out there and you can watch that and you've got two to four more movies coming in the next eight years um, or six years, I guess, because 2028. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, plus, I want to see what he does with 13 better, 13 years of uh, technological advancement because you look at the motion capture in this, it's really good. Like we, we've gone way down the rat hole uh, and haven't even talked about the technical aspects of like what Cameron did making this movie. Um, and and it's, it's fantastic. Like it looks really good and it sounds good and the music is great. Um, it's, a, it's a fun experience to watch this movie. But that's what, you know, you hit on one of the reasons why I think James Cameron is such a groundbreaking director um, because of what he does. You know, again... We, we've gone back, we've mentioned this a bunch of times, Lucas and Star Wars, you know, that changed cinema. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Big movies time. that made it. You talk about movies that made us. You know, I, again, Star Wars it changed what cinema was. And, 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 of course, you know, Lucas, Lucas had his industrial light and, 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 and magic, uh, or magic and light, whatever it was. But you understand where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Same thing with James Cameron with... Avatar. Avatar changed what you could do or what the possibilities were. Just as, in some ways, Matrix has changed movies because of what they did. So you're right. You want to see what the next evolution is. You want to see where Cameron goes with this. And again, you know, you, you touched on it and we've said this. We kind of repeat ourselves every so often. Hollywood wants something they know. They got something they have. They want nostalgia. They want to move forward with something that they know. There, there's, there, there's, you know, it, it's, it's a comfortable old shoe. Mm-hmm. Avatar is that. The question is going to be, you know, again, will it? I, again, I think it's, it's not. If it does as well as the first one. Listen, there is only one movie in the history that sequel has won an Oscar for Best Picture, you know, and that was The Godfather, okay? Nothing else has happened like that. So I don't think anybody realistically is going to say, oh, this Avatar movie is going to do better. But again, if you get that nostalgia appearance, and again, we're talking uh, five months from now, um, again, how much further along are we going to be in, in regards to the pandemic and regard to COVID? Will people feel more comfortable? Will people want to go see this movie in a theater? And again, 
if it does do that and, and it gets people back and people say, hey, this is pretty good, it whets their appetite for the next one. Sure. If it's a bomb, I still think it, it, it whets. You're going to have their, those fans that are going to go, that are going to go see this movie in 2024. Again, I think what you'll do after that 2024 movie is you then take a look and you say, okay, where are we now? What are we going to do here? Because, again, now listen, I can't predict the future. We're going a couple years down the road. Um, as we saw with Carrie Fisher with the Star Wars movie, you know, she she died. That was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And that threw a monkey wrench into what Star Wars was doing with 7, 8, 9. Um, so, again, you don't know, and I, I'm not trying to be maudlin here or gruesome, but you don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea what is going. On. Sure. Oh, definitely. So, I, I think, I think, I think, everyone is looking forward to this movie. I think it'll be interesting to see where it goes and what happens. And again, I think your point on Sam Worthington is very good. And I think that's what I'm going to look forward. I mean, I think I'm going to now point to that because of you. So I give you credit, my friend. Um, you give me something to look forward to and look at with a discerning eye for this avatar movie. But again, you know, listen, let's face it. They're going to still have the beautiful views of Naboo, and it's going to be, I don't think that's going to sell the movie. I am, I am in no way worried about how this uh, avatar two is going to look. I think it's going to look fantastic because look, James Cameron just knows how to make a movie look good. I am very hopeful that we will see a progression in Sam Worthington's acting, but also in Cameron's script. And I'm hoping that that the 13 years and maybe he took some notes from that and can can just massage that a little bit and give us. That's what I want to see. I want to see a better story. I don't. I don't even care that like the whole you know oh it's dances with wolves just with alien with with nine foot tall blue cat aliens. Fine. That I don't care about that. Like I don't care that you're retreading that story, but make my characters a little bit more compelling for me. Give me give me just a little bit more. Um, and I think I, because I think Cameron has that in him. So I'm curious to see what, what happens with it, but you know, I, am I going to turn down? Like if somebody's like, Hey, I want to watch avatar. I'm not going to say no, I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. Um, but having seen it now a couple and, and I hadn't seen it since I saw it in 2009, it had been 13 years between watching this movie. And so watching it the second time, I still had a good time with it. I still enjoyed it, but it left me wanting in a way that, uh, that wasn't it wasn't the like ooh i can't wait to watch more more avatar it's like i wanted a little bit more out of avatar and so that's what i'm hoping that the sequel will give me um so we'll see you know it's the thing i the, you know what i wanted to just quickly mention cuz i was looking at this i think part of what your not criticisms but your concerns are about this i think we're related to the fact that the movie it took the the movie they they kept wavering their support on this movie it was James Cameron at the time, and he was a good guy. But there was kind of, eh, do we like this? I don't know. Maybe not. Now I think there is a concerted effort, and they'll say he can do it. And I, 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 I got to feel that this will not have the same pitfalls that the first one did. I'm hopeful that it doesn't. And, and I, don't, I don't predict that it will have the same pitfalls. Uh, but I'm always kind of, you know, I, when it's a movie that I'm not 100% sold on, like, 
you tell me Taika Waititi's making a new movie, I'm I'm sold because of everything I've seen of his. Uh, it hasn't let me down yet. Yes, if you tell agreed. me Edgar Wright is working on a new movie, I'm in because everything I've seen of Edgar Wright's does that for me. Um, with Cameron, because of what my memory was of Avatar, it's not that I'm not in 100%. I'm in like 70 80%. I'm still going to see it. I'm still going to uh, probably enjoy myself. But it's like, is it going to be... I, I'm I'm not going to overextend my expectations, which will help me mm-hmm. to not then be disappointed by that because I'm 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 tempering that expectation. So we'll see. You know, we got a few months till that comes out, and uh, and we'll see kind of how it goes. But I'm really glad that you got to see this finally and and sort of get to experience that. And now now if you ever go back to Disney, you can uh, enjoy the ride even more because you'll have that backstory now. It'll make more sense. <laughs> oh. Oh, listen, I, I, you know, it, it was funny because, um, you know, when we were talking about doing this, this, this spot on your show, um, you know, what movies could we talk about? And, and, and you, 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 when I mentioned Avatar, you were like, oh yeah, Avatar, that'd be a great one. We haven't done that. And, you know, now I finally am, am part of the club. I'm in on it now. So I get the Avatar thing now. You're right. I go back to Disney. We're going back. We're having a, we're, there's going to be a big family trip in, in January. So I'm hoping this time I go back to Avatar, I will now understand a little more sure. about the pre-show, about all the stuff. And and again, hopefully I will have seen the second one at that point. So then I will will have that also behind. And I'll see that in a big screen. I, I, I you know, it's funny because I think you've kind of pumped me up. I would like to see it in the big screen. You know, I would like to see it in a, in a movie theater. If you ever get a chance to, uh, if it gets re-released uh, and you can, I highly recommend it because it is like like Top Gun Maverick. It's one of those that was purpose built for that experience. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. But but I hope you get to see it on a big screen because it'll it'll change. It'll give you just that that different um, viewpoint of the of the movie. You've seen it now, so you kind of know what's going on. But now you'll get to see just those those visuals on a screen that size. And, and while I didn't talk about it a lot, because as we mentioned earlier, sort of 3d kind of went, uh, it's still being produced. They're still putting stuff in theaters in 3d, but a lot of it, like this was a movie that was conceptualized three dimensionally. And it was one of those few experiences where that three dimensional aspect of it worked in a way that was, uh, that never felt forced there was never any gimmicky three-dimensional stuff. It just like was this depth that it added to it um, that you definitely don't get watching it at home, um, which maybe that's why I noticed some of the story stuff a little bit more the second time because I wasn't, again, I wasn't as taken aback by the 3D and by the by the environments. Who knows? It's hard to say, but it's it's a good movie, and I'm I'm just really glad that you got to see it. Now you can join the club with the rest of us who who you know the rest of the world who had seen this movie. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I want to thank you for having me on the show tonight. This was really a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. You know, I could talk movies and TV all day and all night. Yeah, it does say a little bit something about the film of Avatar, how much time we spent talking about things other than the movie. But, you know, I mean, the conversation went where it went, and it's it's fun. And I'm with you. I can talk movies all day, all night about anything. I can just keep going. So this has been fun. Thank you, Trip, for coming on. This was uh, This was a good time. And, uh, and I'm really glad uh, to get to show you this movie. Have you got uh, anything that you're working on currently that you would like to uh, let people know about? Or where can they find you and your thoughts on movies? 
All right. Well, you can find me. I do a weekly what's called Trips Take, and it's available on all the major podcast services. Uh, it's uh, usually about 10 minutes a week, and I talk about a lot of different things, but, again, that's where I talk about movies mostly. Uh, and that's where you find me. And then I also, um, my uh, side job, I guess, is I have an Internet radio station. Oh, yeah, that's what that is, <laughs> uh, WTRSradio.com. And I will talk about movies sometimes on there, but mostly it's a music station. It's an oldie station, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay. So if you're a Stranger Things fan, you will recognize the movie, the, the music, on that from that that show on my radio station and that's what i normally do and uh, uh you can find me uh in and around online also um i work professionally in radio at a local radio station here in savannah excellent well thank you trip for being on this week this was a lot of fun we are on this show getting closer and closer to august which means cage palooza all nick cage all month uh for the fourth year in a row will be this year so i've got uh, i've got that getting lined up that's going to be fun um, come back and, and for that. Uh, next week is a surprise. You'll just have to keep an eye on Twitter at TV's Travis and find out what movie uh, I'm subjecting someone to next week. So until then, until next week, Trip, thank you again for being on. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. For, for everyone else, enjoy your movies, whatever they may be, and let's be excellent to each other. There's been weight you haven't seen. You see, I mean, they're just pissing on us without even the courtesy of calling it rain. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.